from deep inside your audio device of choice. What a week, ladies and gentlemen, in which uh, at least Rod Blagojevich, former Illinois governor, don't they jail all the governors in Illinois after a while? Just asking for a Louisiana friend. Uh, Rod Blagojevich recently freed from prison by <laughs> President Trump is probably calling him now the great in in uh, sort of in emulation of Ronald Reagan the great commutator see what I'm saying there meanwhile Bernard Carrick is probably calling up President <laughs> Trump and uh, addressing him as hey pardoner anyway ladies and gentlemen uh, much going on this week Climaxing with the uh, Nevada caucuses, which are happening as this program is being recorded. Therefore, there will be, as there never really is, it's, it's my humble opinion that caucuses and primaries really do get enough commentary other places. So don't look for it here today. And don't listen for it either, more, more to the point. In any case, ladies and gentlemen, this is the semifinal day before Fat Tuesday, tomorrow, of course, will be Lundi Gras, Fat Monday. You know, it's all fat. And so uh, most of us are out celebrating, doing something in the street. That's what the street is for. So welcome to a uh, happy day before the day before Mardi Gras edition of Hello, Welcome to the Show.
from New Orleans, Louisiana, where Carnival is taken more seriously than, say, fixing potholes. I'm Harry Shearer welcoming you to the show. Potholes in those very same streets, ironically enough. And now, ladies and gentlemen, enough of the irony. Here's the good news. We've still got Dominion. Well, it's bad news for insects, apparently, both uh, bees and fireflies. Fireflies around the world are at risk of extinction due in part to habitat loss, pesticides, and artificial sources of light. A study published in the journal Bioscience by a team at Tufts. It's a university. It sounds just absolutely comfy. Tufts asked firefly, firefly experts to determine what factors predominantly threaten extinction of those insects. Sarah Lewis, biology professor at Tufts, said the loss of habitat brought about by human development is the most pressing threat or threshing pet. Loss, lots of wildlife species are declining because their habitat is shrinking, so it wasn't a huge surprise that habitat loss was considered the biggest threat, she said. Some fireflies get hit especially hard when their habitat disappears. I should think so, because they need special conditions to complete their life cycle, she said. She pointed to a Malaysian firefly species, the Teroptix tenor, that survives uh, on mangrove trees, or off of them. She said the species population is in drastic declines following the destruction of mangrove trees. Habitat loss has been a known factor of affecting firefly populations, but a co-author, Avalon Owens, said the researchers were surprised to find artificial light is the second highest threat, in addition to disrupting natural biorhythms, including our own. Oh, pardon me. Light pollution really messes up firefly mating rituals. <laughs> we so sexy, they not. Fireflies use their bioluminescence in searching for a mate, an activity that can be interfered with if there is too much surrounding light. Even as more people switch to brighter LED bulbs, Owen said the switch isn't helping. Brighter isn't necessarily better, she said. The biologists also discovered pesticides may be the third most dangerous threat to fireflies. Exposure to the chemicals most often occurs when the insects are in their larval stages, when they're at the most vulnerable. They say more research needs to be done on firefly populations in order to understand just how much the threats to their existence have already affected their numbers or their letters. You need, you need them both. In the midst of devastating climate change, new evidence shows the bumblebee population has declined drastically throughout North America and Europe. A study conducted by researchers from the University of Ottawa in Canada revealed the chilling statistic that over the course of a single human generation, the likelihood of a bumblebee population surviving in any given location has declined by an average of over 30%. Hey, one-third less stings. Authors Peter Soroya a doctoral student at University of Ottawa, Jeremy Kerr, University of Ottawa professor and head of lab group, and Tim Newbold, research fellow at University College London, spearheaded the study. Their research has linked the idea of climate chaos to different extinctions and found that those extinctions actually began decades ago. Quote, we've known for a while that climate change is related to the growing extinction risk. In this paper, said one of the uh, researchers, in this paper we offer an answer to the critical questions of how and why that is. We find that species extinctions across two continents are caused by hotter and more frequent temperature extremes. In their study published in the journal Science, 
They looked specifically at the bumblebee population as an indicator for extinctions. Bumblebees are the best pollinators we have in wild landscapes and the most effective pollinators for crops like tomatoes, squash, and berries, one of the researchers said. Because they're so big when they land on a flower, it creates buzz pollination. You know, like uh, Perez Hilton used to do. When they land and they move around and buzz, the bees, that is, it shakes the whole flower, knocks off pollen in amounts that plants and crops need and that smaller bees just can't produce. Researchers discovered that bumblebees are disappearing at rates consistent with a mass extinction. We face a future with many fewer bumblebees and much less diversity, both in the outdoors and on our plates, one of the researchers warned. We have now entered the world's sixth mass extinction event, or mass extension event, the biggest and most rapid global biodiversity crisis since a meteor ended the age of the dinosaurs. If declines continue at this pace, many of those species could vanish forever within a few decades, say the authors. They note, while it's grave news, with enough research and changes in human habits, (laughs) it could be helped. We know this crisis is entirely driven by human activities. One of the researchers said, so to stop this, we need to develop tools that tell us where and why these extinctions will occur. And then, because we have dominion, we could prevent them. He didn't say that. I did. Now, news of the godly. Ain't he the guy that gave us dominion? I think so. Former Cardinal of uh, D.C., Theodore McCarrick, was a major donor to a religious community whose founder was guilty found guilty, that is, of sexual misconduct. According to the Washington Post, McCarrick gave nearly a million dollars to the Institute of the Incarnate Word from 24 to 2017. That religious community was founded in the mid-'80s in Argentina by Father Carlos Miguel Buela. He retired 10 years ago and was found guilty of sexual misconduct with seminarians by the Vatican four years ago. McCarrick used his status as a senior archbishop and cardinal to support the community and defend it against critics within the church, including then-Archbishop Jorge Bergoglio. I think that would be Bergoglio. Before his election as pope, McCarrick was laicized by Pope Francis, talking pope, uh, last year, a year ago, after a Vatican process found him guilty of sexual abuse of minors and misconduct with adults. He previously served as the Bishop of the Diocese of Metuchen, Archbishop of Newark, and then Archbishop of Washington, D.C., before he retired. McCarrick donated funds to the Institute through the Archbishop's Fund, a charitable account under the oversight of the Archdiocese of Washington. Through that fund, he also gave hundreds of thousands of dollars in donations to charities and to senior Vatican officials. You know, just to make sure everything's nice. While residing near the seminary of the Institute, McCarrick would join the community for meals and had a priest and seminarians from the Institute assigned to him as his personal staff. The property also includes St. John Baptist de La Salle Parish, staffed by the Institute as well as the headquarters of its province of the Immaculate Conception. McCarrick's presence was reportedly a source of tension within the community and uh, formators... No, I don't know either. Warned students to avoid McCarrick's, quote, worldly, unquote, lifestyle. Catholic News Agency has previously reported that McCarrick insisted on a special food menu 
and that he made seminarians assigned to him accompany him to a casino and on trips to a beach house. His conduct triggered complaints by formators to the order's leadership in Rome. He last ordained priests for the Institute way back in 2017. Sounds like a cool dude with the beach house and everything. Survivors of clerical abuse are arguing that the Pope, while taking positive steps, is inconsistent in his response to the problem of sexual abuse within the Church. They've called for the publication of the report on the Vatican's lengthy investigation into former Cardinal McCarrick. Apparently that report has been kept oh so quiet by the Vatican. And turning the news of the godly focus to Protestantism, a confidential settlement was reached in a former Ohio megachurch's pastor's lawsuit. That lawsuit alleged that televangelist Ernest Angley sexually abused and harassed him over a decade, starting in 2004. Have you not seen Ernest Angley? You can listen to um, Reverend Lovejoy and, and get a bit of a hint. The allegations by Brock Miller of Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, included that Angley forced him to get a vasectomy, inspected his genitals, and asked him sexual questions while Miller worked at Angley's Grace Cathedral in Cuyahoga Falls. A counterclaim by the church contended those allegations were false, according to the Akron Beacon Journal. It's not just a beacon, it's a journal. The settlement includes a non-disparagement clause, so it'd be nice, it'd be nice to each other. The agreement was reached in private mediation. Had the case gone to trial, the attorneys involved had agreed Angeli wouldn't be required to testify due to the maladies connected to the fact that he's 98 years old. And still at it. News of the Godly, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And we are uh, connected on, uh, via the network line to uh, wherever it is that uh, the president, <laughs> President Trump is today. Uh, I don't know if he's still in Nevada, Nevada, Nevada or whether he's uh, off somewhere else where Democrats are congregating. But he's apparently having a, a, another press gaggle, as it's called right now. And uh, I'm told he's being asked about uh, reports that he called Rush Limbaugh after the radio broadcaster uh, made derogatory comments about the uh, sexuality of Pete Buttigieg. So let, let's join uh, the president right now. Mr. President, I did call Rush Limbaugh. So that part is true, but that was a leak. Leaks are killing this country. They're worse than China. I told Rush the attacks on him were so unfair, and I told him what Roy Cohn told me a long time ago in New York. All the media were against me even then. He told me, don't ever apologize. He also told me, get to know the concrete workers. They can be your best friends. That's why the working people still love Trump. I told Rush something else Roy told me, which is the doctors lie all the time. He said AIDS, AIDS is a hoax. For all we know, there may be a cancer hoax, too. You'd have to be a math teacher or something to count all the hoaxes we have in this country today. I told him, I don't know if he even does this anymore. I wish I had more time to listen to him. I've got all this cable to watch. But I said to him, Rush, I'm sending you a great big ditto or a mimeo or even a fax, whatever it was. And then uh, his commercial break was over. He had to go back on. And to tell you the truth, I had a lot more disloyal people to fire. All right, we'll, we'll uh, rejoin that gaggle if he's uh, making any more news. But right now, the show continues.
This is the show, and now, ladies and gentlemen, time for News of the Warm. It's award-winning, won't you? Soft, listen to the warm. We can listen to the warm. Well, here's the good news. A secret to survival amid rising global temperatures could be dwelling in the tide pools of the United States West Coast. Findings by the University of California Irvine biologists 
studying the genome of an unusual fish residing in those coastal waters. Those findings offer new possibilities for humans to get dietary protein from a, a source you might not expect. Climate change, of course, is imperiling traditional sources. The paper appears in Proceedings of the Royal Society B. Couldn't quite make the Royal Society A, I guess. This report is from fizz.org. The fish is Cabidicthus violaceus. It's colloquially known as the monkey face prickleback. I know you've been called that at, at better bars than this. Monkey face prickleback, ladies and gentlemen, with an acidic stomach ugh, and small and large intestines. Why, it has a digestive system much like humans do. And yet, it's a fish. The monkey face prickleback is among 5% of the 30,000 fish species that are vegetarian. So it's a very weak fish. No, nourishing themselves only with the specialized algae in the tide pools where they live, which is a lot better than tide pools where they don't live. That would be a little hard for the prickleback, the old, your old prickleback. This characteristic captured the attention of Donovan German. He's an associate professor of ecology and uh, researcher Joseph Harras and their colleagues. They wanted to figure out how the monkey-faced prickleback survives on a food source that contains a low level of lipids. Tom? A low level of lipids. Thank you. They are essential for all living beings. By sequencing and assembling a high-quality genome for the fish, the team discovered the secret. Quote, we found that the monkey-faced prickleback's digestive system is excellent at breaking down starch, which we anticipated, said German. But we also learned it has adapted to be very efficient at breaking down lipids. Those are fats, basically, I think. Even though lipids comprise just 5% of the algae's composition, it is a compelling example of what we call digestive specialization in the genome, unquote. German. With climate change making the raising of livestock less sustainable, the discovery holds promise for developing new sources of protein for humans. In particular, it could be important for aquaculture, which is contending with the issue of what to uh, feed the fish they're raising. Could feed them fish food, I get. Using plant-based food ingredients reduces pollution and costs less, says the paper's first author, Harris. However, most aquaculture fish are carnivores and can't handle plant lipids. You can't handle the plant lipids. Sequencing the genome has provided us a better understanding of what types of genes are necessary for breaking down plant material. We may find omnivorous fish with the right genes that could provide new candidates for sustainable aquaculture with even less desirable names than the monkey face. Although, give it a, you know, the uh, Chilean monkey fish. The, mon the monkey face prickleback grows to as much as three feet long and six pounds in weight. Eating plants. It can live on land for up to 37 straight hours since it can breathe above water as well as under. It has already become a culinary delicacy, appearing on plates in a number of high-end restaurants. I'd like the monkey face. No, come on. They don't call it, do they? Its flavor belies the imposing appearance. The taste is actually delicate and mild, said one of the researchers. He's eating the fish he's studying. Ain't that an ethical kick in the head? Methane emissions, methane emissions to you and me, to the atmosphere have increased by approximately 150% over the past three centuries, but it has been difficult for researchers to determine exactly where those emissions originate. Methane can be emitted naturally. Don't look at those cows now. 
as well as from human activity. But researchers at the University of Rochester measured methane levels in ancient air samples and found that scientists have been vastly underestimating the amount of methane that humans are emitting into the atmosphere. No, no via fossil fuels. In a paper published in Nature, the researchers indicate that reducing fossil fuel use is therefore a key target in curbing climate change. Methane is the second largest human-caused contributor to uh, climate change after carbon dioxide. But methane has a relatively short shelf life compared to CO2. If we stopped emitting all carbon dioxide today, high CO2 levels in the atmosphere would still persist for a long time, says one of the researchers. Methane is important because if we make changes to our current methane emissions, it's going to be reflected in the climate more quickly. Uh, They broke down how much methane is released naturally and how much released by human activity. They uh, drilled and collected ice cores from Greenland. The ice core samples act like time capsules. They contain air bubbles with small quantities of ancient air trapped inside. Well, that's where you find the uh, ancient aliens then. They got to breathe that. Don't By measuring the carbon-14 isotopes in air from more than 200 years ago, the researchers found almost all the methane emitted to the atmosphere was biological in nature until about 1870. Why, that's when fossil fuels began to be used. The levels of naturally released fossil methane are about 10 times lower than previous research reported. So the man-made fossil fuel component is higher than expected, 25 to 40 percent higher, they found. If anthropogenic methane emissions make up a larger part of the total, reducing emissions from human activities like fossil fuel use will have a greater impact on curbing future global warming than scientists previously thought. News of the Warm, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. There was a lot of attention in the media devoted to uh, (laughs) President Bush's commutation of the sentence still being served by former Illinois Governor uh, Blagojevich, Rod Blagojevich, less so to the pardoning of former New York Police Chief Bernard Carrick. That commutation, sorry, that pardon appeared to have resulted from Carrick's wife appearing frequently on Fox News to ask (laughs) President Trump to do just that. Now, Carrick served as uh, police chief under Rudy Giuliani when he was mayor of New York. America's mayor. He, uh, He, Carrick, pleaded guilty in 2009 to eight felonies, just eight. This according to Fox News. One of them was tax fraud. Another is lying to the White House while being vetted for another job. Then President George W. Bush had, at Rudy Giuliani's recommendation, nominated Carrick to be head of the Department of Homeland Security. This was after he'd been sent over to Iraq to supervise the training of their cops in the new Iraq and uh, blew out after only about three months. Prosecutor said between 1999 and 2000, when he was commissioner of the Corrections Department, he accepted more than a quarter million dollars in renovations to his Bronx apartment from city contractors in exchange for speaking to city officials on their behalf. You gotta, you gotta have a, a, an in, don't you? He was also charged for providing false and misleading answers related to that when questioned by White House officials as he was being vetted for the Homeland Security job. 
something I don't think he was com- convicted of, but uh, it was noted at the time. He had uh, taken control of an apartment that was set aside for New York City firefighters to rest up while they were working on um, debris and rescue. At 9-11, Carrick was using the apartment for an assignation with a, uh, a woman, not his wife. The judge, was sentenced, uh, the judge sentenced Carrick to four years in prison, which was well beyond federal sentencing guidelines. He said the guidelines didn't take into account, quote, the almost operatic proportions of this case, unquote. Carrick, like the judge, Carrick completed the sentence. When New York needed correcting, Carrick was there. Carrick was there. With a countenance just as grim as a cleric's stare. When his house it needed fixing, there was no money, he was Nixon. When the mobsters would mix in, Carrick was there. The city was on fire, Carrick was there Taking time out only for a torrid affair Just to make a good impression He used a flat meant for decompression Of the guys in his profession, Carrick was there Carrick was there. Carrick was there. Carrick was there when Mayor Rudy had his passion. Carrick was there when the time had come to cash in. When Iraq needed policing, Carrick was there. Though some say it was a fleecing, could Carrick care? It was three long months of training, then the crap, it started raining. So without complaining, Carrick was out of there. When Homeland needed securing, Carrick was there. But his nanny records were found in disrepair. So Bernie took a powder before the questioning got louder. In the pages of the tabloids, Carrick was there. There. When Trump rolled out a pardon, Carrick was there. No guard dogs doing the garden Carrick could dare It was Rudy who saved his bacon From the laws he had been breaking In Giuliani's golden glare Carrick is there Carrick is there Carrick is there Ooh, Carrick is there 
Now, ladies and gentlemen, a little bit of news about the Olympic movement. This is in the middle of a story in Asia Times, a uh, website that covers that other part of the world, about whether Japan will have to, might have to postpone or otherwise mess with the Olympics because of the coronavirus pandemic that seems to be heading our way. Buried deep in the story is this. By some forecasts, Tokyo may end up paying $26 billion to stage the Olympics and Paralympics. That dwarfs, I guess we can still say that, the roughly $7 billion that was the original estimate for the cost of the event, from 7 to $26 billion. Ladies and gentlemen, when you talk about high jumps, that is Olympian. Also this, in the same story in Asia Times, I believe I heard this and shared this with you as sort of a rumor or a theory. It's reported here as fact, or it's at least printed here as fact. When Tokyo held the last Olympic Games in the city in 1964, events were held in October to avoid the city's harsh summer heat and humidity. We've talked about that uh, temperature challenge on this program. This year's events, reports Asia Times, are on the dog days of summer so as not to collide with NBC's sports programming in the fall, i.e. football. And now... News of Bad Banks. Well, perhaps the best-known bad bank in terms of the frequency with which its malefactions have been made known to the public is Wells Fargo. They've, that bank has now agreed to pay $3 billion. Why, that's almost enough to not pay enough to hold the Olympics. To settle criminal charges and a civil action stemming from its widespread mistreatment of customers over a 14-year period. Yes, a real ruler hitting the back of the hand of Wells Fargo, according to the Justice Department. From 2002 to 2016, employees used fraud to meet impossible sales goals. According to the New York Times, they opened millions of accounts in customers' names without the customer's knowledge. Hey, that's an efficient bank. They signed unwitting account holders up for credit cards and bill payment programs, created fake personal identification numbers, forged signatures, and even secretly transferred customers' money. Why, they're masters enough of fantasy to be a Hollywood studio. In court papers, prosecutors described a pressure cooker environment at the bank. Low-level employees were squeezed tighter and tighter each year by sales goals that senior executives methodically raised while ignoring signs they were unrealistic. Part of the settlement is, of course, a deferred prosecution agreement. We won't prosecute you now, but if, you, if you're bad boys in the future. As part of its agreement with the Securities and Exchange Commission, the bank is going to set up a $500 million fund to compensate investors who suffered when Wells Fargo failed to inform them that its community banking businesses were not as strong as the fake accounts made it seem. That money is included in the $3 billion settlement total. Prosecutors 
described how even after some Wells Fargo executives tried to curb the abuses, the bank hid the problem from investors by changing its public descriptions of its sales practices. Since the allegations came to light in a settlement with California authorities and the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, thank you, Ms. Warren, the bank has also admitted it charged mortgage customers unnecessary fees, joined the club, and forced auto loan buyers, uh, sorry, auto loan borrowers to buy insurance they did not need. Friday's deal is also unrelated to a continuing criminal investigation of former Wells Fargo executives' individual roles in the sales practices scandal. I wouldn't be holding my breath on that. Although, a month ago, the office of the comptroller of the currency fined former top executives millions of dollars each for overseeing the bank while it abused customers. John, C., John G. Stumpf, former chief executive, agreed to pay $17.5 million. And former head of retail banking, Carrie Tolstead, is contesting a $25 million fine. Who wouldn't? But fine schmine, when do we see a perp walk? N-E-V-A-H, ladies and gentlemen. That's when. And now... News of the land of 15,000 princes. Our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. Uh, indeed. Ladies and gentlemen, we've heard a lot, or at least, no, not a lot, a little bit in this country, the United States, about uh, problems, problems, uh, deaths of civilians in Idlib in Syria as the Syrian regime tries to eliminate the final holdout region still held by rebels. We have not nearly heard as much about what's going on in Yemen. 19 children were among at least 31 civilians killed in airstrikes in rebel-held Yemen last week, according to the United Nations. 19 children, 8 boys, 11 girls, and injured another 18, according to the UN Children's Agency, saying it was an attack on a civilian-populated area where children were in the vicinity. Those airstrikes came after the Houthi rebels, aligned with Iran, claimed to have shot down an aircraft of the coalition supporting the government, led by Saudi Arabia. The rebels reported multiple coalition airstrikes where the plane went down. The coalition conceded the possibility of collateral damage during a search and rescue operation at the site of the jet crash, which left the fate of its crew uncertain. UNICEF urged the warring sides to put an end to the conflict. Adding the worrying escalation of violence over the past few weeks is a harsh reminder that children in Yemen continue to carry the heaviest burden of the conflict. The Saudi-led coalition intervened in the what was a, up till then a civil war in 2015, shortly after the rebels seized control of the country's capital. Since then, tens of thousands of people, mostly civilians, have been killed. The UN calls it the worst humanitarian crisis going on. Right now, the coalition has been widely criticized, according to the French news agency AFP, for the high civilian death toll from its bombing campaign. Some Western governments have cut arms deliveries to the Saudis. Have we? And the Saudi-led coalition says it's going to put on trial military personnel suspected of being behind the deadly airstrikes on Yemeni civilians. Those are probably the same bad actors, the bad apples who killed Khashoggi. 
I figured that out about our friends, our freedom-loving friends in Saudi Arabia. And now, ladies and gentlemen, I'm told that we're uh, a question has just been asked of Pre- President <laughs> Trump is still on the uh, tarmac, and it's just been asked a question follow-up to his criticism at a rally this week of the Academy Award being given to Parasite, a uh, South Korean movie. So let's let's listen in. Well, quiet, quiet. You, quiet. I did slam the Oscars for giving the best picture to that Korean film with the crawl on the bottom. You know, I don't, I don't need the news or the stocks when I'm watching a movie. I just want to hear what they're saying. And then who gets best foreign film? Some movie made in Brooklyn? You know, it's like, it's Hollywood. They like to get everything mixed up. Men, women, countries. And they also nominated this movie Harriet for something. Best song, best sound. They got so many awards. That's how the Emmys went down the tube. So Harriet, can't we go back to when you didn't erase Ozzy from the whole picture? You know, it's nice for David and Ricky. To see that dad just erased like that. I will tell you this. Ozzy and Harry was never a movie. But it's not such a big deal to edit a few episodes together. I know a little bit of something about that. But no, now it's just Harriet. Because what, we don't need Ozzy's, right? That's a great message for the young people. Don't forget, Hollywood's a swamp too, believe me.
This is the show Mardi Gras to the bone. And now, ladies and gentlemen, time for the Apologies of the Week. Major League Baseball's Commissioner Rob Manfred apologized this week for describing the World Series trophy as, quote, a piece of metal, unquote, during an interview with ESPN. That description drew pointed criticism from a Dodgers third baseman and a Chicago Cubs starting pitcher. Manfred said he referred to the World Series trophy, named the Commissioner's Trophy, quote, in a disrespectful way while attempting to make a rhetorical point, unquote, about the possibility of stripping the Houston Astros of their 2017 championship. This is another apology connected to that sign-stealing scandal. I want to apologize for that remark, Manfred told the assembled media at a news conference. Quote, there's no excuse for it. I made a mistake. I was trying to make a point, but I should have made it in a more effective way. And again, I want to apologize for it. I will say this. I've awarded five World Series trophies. There's no greater pleasure in this job than awarding that trophy. I understand what it means. And again, it was a mistake to say what I said, unquote. Should have, was a, should have said it was a piece of heavy metal, don't you think? I do. Deadline Helena, Montana Representative Rodney Garcia has apologized for comments he made at a Republican rally in which he said socialists should be jailed or shot. He called the remarks inappropriate, but added he's ignoring calls to resign despite a request from state Republican leadership. Yes, he is a Republican. Garcia's comments came shortly after Montana House Speaker Greg Hurt said it would be up to voters to decide at the polls if Garcia continues as a state lawmaker after making the comments at a January gathering in Helena. Plainly, my statement, which review of the event video by unbiased observers would confirm, was a well-received joke, Garcia wrote. Though delivered and perceived as a joke, my statement was totally inappropriate, unquote. Socialists should be jailed or shot. Oh, I get the joke now. Garcia also said he was angered by attacks against President Trump. <laughs> president Trump, including some in which the president was depicted as dead or decapitated. He said his anger has been growing at these events and for one-sided coverage. I apologize for letting them influence me and for having sunk to their level, he said in his letter. By the way, the uh, image of President Trump decapitated was posted by Kathy Griffin, who lost her job as a result. Just saying. Deadline Jeffersonville, Indiana, a southern Indiana judge is apologizing for a fight outside an Indianapolis White Castle, during which he and another judge were shot and seriously wounded. I'll bet he's sorry. Those were White Castles he was eating. Clark County Circuit Judge Andrew Adams pled guilty last year to one misdemeanor battery charge in a plea agreement with prosecutors who dismissed two felony counts he'd faced. He received a one-year suspended sentence. He and a fellow Clark County judge, Brad Jacobs, were shot and seriously wounded during a May 1 last year fight that followed a night of bar hopping as they were in Indianapolis for a judicial conference. Those Indianapolis bars, man, they'll get you. The fight and shooting also led to charges against two other men, including Brendan Kaiser, who was accused of shooting the two judges. Adams, Jacob, and another judge were temporarily suspended as a part of disciplinary action taken by the Indiana Supreme Court. In response to the judicial misconduct, they were found to have committed. They've all been reinstated. 
Adams said he was limited in what he could say before he was reinstated, but now that he wanted to apologize for the incident. I'm sincerely sorry it happened, he said. The incidents of May 1 by no means define me as a person, definitely not a judge. Everybody says, would you change anything? Obviously, I would have went back to the room earlier if I could change anything, Adams said. Might have gone straight through eighth grade English again. Maybe. Buffalo Wild Wings, based in Atlanta, ran afoul of Houston Astros fans this week by tweeting, that's how you punish a team that cheats. In response to the Manchester City soccer club being fined $32.5 million and banned from the Champions League for two seasons after allegedly breaking financial rules that govern European teams. The tweet was a veiled reference to the Astros sign-stealing scandal and Major League Baseball's decision to neither punish players nor vacate the team's World Series piece of metal. Response from Astros fans was fast and furious. Buffalo Wild Wings then apologized for its tweet, saying, Well done, H-Town, for coming to your team's defense. The chain has 25 sports bars in the Houston area, which employ about 1,500 workers. Half are owned by franchisees. Former South African President F.W. de Klerk apologized and withdrew a statement he made earlier this month that the country's former system of racial separation was not a crime against humanity. The United Nations declared it one in 1973, but the last apartheid-era president waited until 2020 to argue with them. He sparked outrage during an interview by the state broadcaster. Uh, oh, February 2 was the 30th anniversary of his landmark speech announcing Mandela's release from prison. He said, The idea that apartheid was a crime against humanity was and remains an agitprop project initiated by the Soviets and their allies in the African National Congress to stigmatize white South Africans by associating them with genuine crimes against humanity. Unquote. The 85, uh, sorry, 83-year-old de Klerk's foundation has now retracted the comment and apologized for the confusion, anger, and hurt it has caused. De Klerk, who was awarded a Nobel Peace Prize with Mandela for their role in the country's transition away from apartheid, has frequently courted controversy with his views on apartheid. Well, maybe... Give back the Peace Prize, babe. There's a few who might want to do that right now. You know, you and Henry. The Apologies of the Week, ladies and gentlemen, a copyrighted feature of this broadcast. And just to prove that it's not just Democrats in the United States who screw up election matters with apps. The Likud party, the party of Benjamin Netanyahu, the current prime minister of Israel, has uploaded the full register of Israeli voters to an app, causing the leak of personal data on six and a half million Israeli citizens. The information includes the full names, identity card numbers, addresses, and gender of every single eligible voter in Israel, as well as the phone numbers and other personal details of some of them. This is reported by the Israeli newspaper Haaretz. Israeli political parties receive personal details of voters before the elections and commit to protecting their privacy, as well as to not reproduce the registry without the express written consent of Major League Baseball, nor to provide it to a third party, and to permanently erase all the information once the election is over. The registry was uploaded by Likud to the Elector app used by the party to manage Election Day. The firm that developed the app commented that the vulnerability was a, quote, one-off incident that was immediately dealt with, and the security measures since have been boosted. Well, the election's over. Why would you need them now? 
Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's edition of the show. Back next week at the same time with, uh, I hope, an interesting conversation for you on the subject of whatever happened to antitrust in America. And it would be just like you having a good Tuesday, whatever kind of day it is where you are, if you'd agree to join with me then. Would you already? Thank you very much. Uh-huh. A tip of the show chapeau to the San Diego desk, to Pam Halstead, and to Thomas Walsh at WWNO New Orleans for their help with today's broadcast. The email address for this program, your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts, and uh, to see the playlist of the music that you've heard today, all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter, strangely enough, still at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Changes Easy Radio Network. So long from the Crescent City.